The good news from the Bible this morning is that God has not given up on you. God loved you 2,000 years ago. God loved you the day you were born and God still loves you today. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the challenges you face, God loves you today. God sees value in you and he sees a beautiful future for each one of his children. Good morning, family. It's truly an honor and privilege for my wife and I to be back home at Ipsy. It, the year was 1982. We had been married for one year when we moved to the Ipsy Church. Came to go to school at the University of Michigan. Pastor Lester Parkinson was the pastor, and Ipsy was our home. And we have been blessed. We, we, Ipsy will always be a part of who we are. Touched by seeing so many familiar faces. And thanks, Sister Debbie, for an amazing introduction. Um, but it's good to be home. Um, Opal is here with me. Um, she has been retired for some time. You might recall that she had a major cardiac event um, several years ago at Oakwood when I was given the commencement address <laughs> um, the same weekend, not at the time of the address. Um, and since then, she's been retired. But so she's, that, all that means is she's not working for pay <laughs> because she's working harder than she's ever worked before in her life, volunteering at a high school, the Boston Dream Academy. Look it up online. Boston Dream Academy, a high school that we created to provide high-quality Christian education in the greater Boston area. When we moved to Boston, within 12, 10 miles, 15 miles, sorry, of where we lived, there were 44 Seventh-day Adventist churches, but no Adventist high school. Um, and so we have been part of a group that, by faith, have started, and, and I, I just want to tell you the story because God is able, and you never know what God can do. So we started a school with nobody, with three students, but no, no paid staff, um, volunteers, my wife and others volunteering. The church we attend gave us a home to start, um, and God has blessed. Um, today we have uh, 25 high school students. We've graduated multiple students um, uh, so far. Um, and just to give you the way God works, um, early in the, in the process of trying to start and trying to meet people, um, I met someone from the Bainham Foundation. You've never heard of the Bainham Foundation probably, but Mr. Bainham was an Adventist who owned the Choice Hotels, uh, one of the largest and other brands like that, hotel chains in the United States. But he was a Seventh-day Adventist, believed in Christian education, and started a foundation that helps children. But there's a branch of it that focuses on Adventist education, and we met the project officer. Um, and then we've been in touch with them. They've tried to help us. But just to tell you how God blesses, 
They said, we will send three experts, non-Adventists, to help you develop a strategic plan for the school. And they worked with us. And then one day they told us, you know, I think they want to help you. And then we got a letter from the Bainham Foundation that they were giving us $2 million to purchase a building. Our God is able. (laughs) We still have lots of work to do. We have challenges because they gave us up to $2 million to be two-thirds of the price of the building. Now, building's expensive in Boston. So we bought a building that went on the market for $3.7 million. We talked them down to $3 million. So we give the $2 million from Bainham. We still have a million dollars uh, to take care of. But God is good. And I just tell you the story as an example of what God is able to do. Dream of what you can do for God and realize that there's nothing that can stop you if God is on your side. Um, so Opal spends a lot of her time at the Boston Dream Academy When she's not there, she runs away to Maryland, uh, where um, we have a granddaughter that will be five years old in June, and a grandson that will be three years old in January. And so she spends a lot of time there. We were there last weekend. I was, uh, the North American Division asked me to speak for the, at their year-end meetings um, last Sunday, and so we went in for the weekend. But God is good. We are thrilled to be here. Love everybody at Ipsy, <laughs> and just, just so happy to be here. My message today, I'm saying hello to those online. Um, special hello to Santon, one of our, our adopted dad. Uh, who's in the hospital, but we're saying hello to him. He told me he'd be watching this morning. Um, My message this morning is God's plan for you. Not just for youth, it's for youth, but for all of us. God's plan for you. And it's a message about health, and we're going to look to the Lord as we look to his word. Not I, but Christ. Be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ. Be seen, be known, be heard. Not I but Christ in every look and action. Not I but Christ in every thought and word. Why? Because Christ, only Christ, our every need supplying. Christ, only Christ, our strength and help to be. Christ, only Christ for body, soul, and spirit. Christ, only Christ, here and eternally. This morning, I want to begin by talking about a story of love in action. We're familiar with this story, the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus said a certain man went down to Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. This is a familiar story to all of us. The road uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem, or Jerusalem to Jericho, led down a wild, rocky ravine where gangs and robbers liked to hide out. 
This poor man, minding his own business, was brutally attacked, robbed of all that was valuable, beaten and left bloodied and half dead on the side of the road. And while he was lying in pain, a religious leader came by, and another. They took one look and kept on going. But a certain Samaritan, someone from a different nation, someone from a different race, came on his journey where the sufferer was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He did not question whether the stranger was from his neighborhood or not. He was not concerned whether he was Jew or Gentile. He was not concerned whether he was from Jerusalem or from Gaza. It did not matter whether he was Russian or Ukrainian. He saw a man in need, and he took off his own garment and covered him. The oil and wine provided for his own journey he used to heal and refresh the wounded man. He lifted him on his own beast and moved slowly along with even pace so the stranger might not be injured and jarred as they made the journey. He got to a motel, cared for him through the night, watching him tenderly. And in the morning, as the sick man had improved, the Samaritan paid the man's bill and left a deposit for any additional expenses <laughs> excuse me, he might incur. In the story of the Good Samaritan, in this story, Jesus gives us a picture of himself, a picture of his mission, and understanding God's plan for our lives, individually, as a congregation, as a denomination, must begin with a new appreciation of what Jesus has done for me and for you. Men and women on planet Earth were wounded. We've been abused, we've been deceived, we've been robbed and ruined by our enemy, Satan. We have been left on the side of the highway to perish, but Jesus found us ready to die, and he had compassion on our pain. He undertook our case. Our situation from all human analysis may have appeared hopeless, but Jesus cared about our helpless condition, and he left the comforts of glory to come and rescue us. We were wounded. We were bleeding, but Jesus came with healing. He did not pour in oil and wine. No, he gave his own precious blood to heal our wounds. He covered us with his robe of righteousness. He opened to us a refuge of safety, and he made complete provision for everything we would ever need at his expense. And Jesus has placed all the charges for my full recovery and your full recovery on his account. The good news from the Bible this morning is that God has not given up on you. God loved you 2,000 years ago. God loved you the day you were born. And God still loves you today, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the challenges you face. God loves you today. God sees value in you, and he sees a beautiful future for each one of his children. 
The good news this morning is that we have a savior who have come down to our house of pain and feels what we feel. Jesus knows how you are feeling right now. There are some here this morning who may be burdened by all the stressors and the pressure of this week. There are some today who may be tired and exhausted. There are some who may be grappling with deep emotional pain because of past experiences. There may be some here today who are trapped in a bad situation, but have come to you with good news. The good news is, the Bible declares is that Jesus is on the Jericho Road today. Jesus knows what nobody else knows. He understands your struggle in a way no one else does. Jesus himself has weighed every burden you carried this week. He has felt your pain. He has seen your tears. And regardless of the situation you're in, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. And whether you're dealing with the stress of leadership or the disappointment of friends who've let you down, you need to know today that no one understands like Jesus. And whether you've been falsely accused by coworkers or struggling with family tension, Jesus understands what you're facing. The Bible declares he carries our griefs and bears our sorrows. You may be feeling that nobody knows the trouble you've seen. The truth is, nobody knows like Jesus. Jesus, the master of heaven and earth and sky, is looking down on you this morning. You are not here by chance. God is looking down on you this morning with love, compassion, sympathy, and tenderness. He sees you when you're weary. He knows when you are lonely. He sees you when you are discouraged. And Jesus is on your Jericho Road today. He has stopped by to pick you up today, to hold you close with the deepest, richest, strongest bonds of love that you've ever experienced. Not only does Jesus understand how you feel, Jesus has made every provision to address all of your needs. He comes with the power of the universe with him, and he knows exactly what we need. He knows every circumstance of our life. He knows the power of the temptations you struggle with. He understands the situations that irritate you and the people that bother you. He knows where you are weak. He knows the missteps that have led to your current predicament. And as Jesus meets you on the Jericho Road today, he wants you to know that his grace is sufficient for you because his strength is made perfect in weakness. I like the way the new Good News translation says it. My grace is all you need. For my power is greatest when you are weak. The story of the Good Samaritan this morning provides a key to living God's amazing dream for your life. In the story, the injured man accepts everything the Good Samaritan offers. He follows every direction. He obeys every command. He was convinced that here was someone who loved him, who cared for him, who was looking out for his best, and he resigned himself 
to stop worrying, to stop fretting, and just depend on the leading and direction from the Good Samaritan. Good advice for us? We can learn something from that wounded man today. The wounded man did not resist being carried. He did not reject the companionship of the journey. He just accepted everything that was offered him. Why? Because the injured man was incapable of helping himself. He could not rescue himself. He could not heal himself. He could not save himself. The same is true of our salvation. We are saved by God's grace. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Our greatest danger is self-sufficiency. Our Achilles heel is when we feel we can handle it ourselves. We're big enough and strong enough and tough enough. Jesus wants us to remind it today that 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9 is still true. He says to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And we need to take that message to heart this morning. You feel weak? Jesus is all you need. You have messed up in the past? Jesus is all you need. You don't have the strength to move forward. Jesus is still all you need. I love the way the spirit of prophecy puts it. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly upon the merits of the Savior. By prayer, by the study of his word, by faith in his abiding presence. You know what that means? Jesus never leaves you. He's with you 24-7, moment by moment, hour by hour, day in, day out. By faith in his abiding presence, the weakest of human beings may live in contact with the living Christ, and he will hold them by a hand that will never let go. What did the song say? Learning to lean. Learning to lean, I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Finding more power than I've ever dreamed. Why? Because I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Ipsy, this morning, God is interested in every aspect of your life. He will lead us. He will direct us. He will work out his will in us. And that includes our health. And that's why our text this morning Exodus 15, 26, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and you will do that which is right in his sight, and give air to his commandment and keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases that I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. God wants to bless us in every aspect of our lives. He wants us to live lives that glorify him in all we say and all we do. This doesn't mean that a Christian will never get sick. We are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We did not choose our grandparents. And God visits the iniquity upon the father, of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. We still live in enemy territory. And a devil is still a roaring lion. So bad things still happen to God's people. But none of us will live forever until Jesus comes. So this text doesn't say that we're going to live until Jesus comes. 
But Jesus promises us that while we live, if we obey him, he will give us the fullness of life. He promises that he will bless us with health and strength. He assures us of the maximum health that we could have on this side of eternity. And if we are living in full obedience to him, any weakness or illness that comes our way is only there because God sees some larger purpose, some way in which he can use that infirmity to bring honor and glory to his name. When we live a life fully dedicated to God, all things, not some things, all things work together for our maximum good. Not just for our good, for our maximum good. Every single thing that happens to us will be the best possible thing that could happen to us in the light of eternity. And God's presence will be with us and he will be blessing us and giving us strength every single step of the way. I think my slides have moved ahead of me. And God wants us to live the best possible life. So he has given us the guidelines for abundant living. And God has given us these, in scripture, these wonderful guidelines that we call today the eight laws of health. You know them. New start. I love the acronym. Nutrition. Optimal nutrition. E for exercise. Getting adequate daily physical exertion. Seventh-day Adventists should be the most physically fit people in the world. Amen. Why? Because we say we keep the fourth commandment. There are two commands in the fourth commandment. Six days shalt thou labor. The Hebrew word for labor is abad. It refers to getting vigorous physical activity. Abad is used to describe the building of a city, the plowing of a field. Six days. If you don't get it like I do from my work, then we need to make time to get abad. Else we are not keeping the fourth commandment. Six days you get vigorous physical activity. Enough on exercise. Water. Drink adequate amounts of water. Sunlight. Controlled exposure to sunlight. Temperance. We make wise decisions in everything we do. Air. We want to breathe to as the extent we can. Pure, fresh air. Rest. Adequate amounts of sleep. I could talk for hours on sleep and the research on sleep and health and how vital it is. And finally, trust in God. Knowing that everything we have and everything we are able to do comes from him. And you know what? Science is affirming that God's guidelines are our best interest. I'm going to illustrate that in the case of nutrition. There's been enormous research interest in the last few years in something called telomere length. Telomere length is a marker of biological aging. It's an area of scientific study. Um, telomeres, uh, the protective caps at the ends of the strands of our DNA. Think of them as your shoelace. And you know there's some little plastic caps at the end that keeps the strands holding together. That's what telomeres do at the level of our DNA. And they get shorter when cells divide and telomeres length shortens with age. And as telomeres shorten, cells stop dividing and eventually die. Thus, the length of one's telomeres is an indicator of biological aging. So scientists can now study how old you are chronologically and how old you are biologically by looking at your telomeres. 
and shorter telomeres are now recognized as a marker of what we call accelerated aging, or Professor at the University of Michigan calls it weathering, because we are being eroded by constant exposure to adversity. And shorter telomeres do not increase one's risk of any specific disease, but they increase the chances that whatever disease you're vulnerable to, you're going to get it earlier. You're going to get it faster. You're going to get it sooner. And do you know what the science shows? This is a new book out called The Telomere Effect. Studies indicate that there's certain kind of diet, a plant-rich diet, the consumption of nuts, beans, grains, griffiline, vegetables, and fruit, strengthen our telomeres. High consumption of dietary fiber and the use of unsaturated fat have beneficial effects on telomere length. While diets rich in refined sugar and saturated fats, all the things that are advertised on TV, accelerate telomere shortening. So the diet God wants us to have, science is proven, is the diet that lengthens our life and gives us higher quality life. And we are Adventists today on the practice of good nutrition and a healthy vegetarian diet. Well, there's a high level of support among Adventists regarding good nutrition. There's been a recent global study of Adventists around the world completed. And one of my great friends, Dr. McBride from Andrews, has done some analyses of the data. And yes, Seventh-day Adventists around the world support the church's health teachings in word, but they fail to follow the health teachings. And they are very comfortable, he finds, in picking and choosing which aspects to follow. Globally, 5% of Seventh-day Adventists worldwide are vegan, 14% vegetarian, 11% pescatarian, those who eat fish. Vegetarian practice is high in Canada and the US, 51% of SDAs in Canada and the US are vegan or vegetarian, very different than the rest of the world. And the Adventist Health Study 2, 48% of whites, 24% of blacks did not consume meat. Um, many Adventists who are vegetarian, though, do not necessarily eat nutritiously. You need to come back this afternoon. I'm talking about a diet that has been shown in research done by colleagues of mine at Harvard University, how you can control blood pressure. And if you're a normal audience, one in every two of you sitting in front of me, age 25 and over, have hypertension. One in every two. And only one in every four of you who have hypertension have it controlled. That's what the data is. One in four of those who have hypertension and one in two adults have it. And I'm going to share with you this afternoon a diet that scientific studies show controls hypertension as good as anti-hypertensive meds does in six weeks. You just got to stick for the diet, stick with it to keep it going after six weeks. And if you add a low salt component to it, it's better than anti-hypertensive medications. And the American Heart Association supports it. The American College of Cardiology supports it. I'm going to give you the facts this afternoon. You've got to come back. OK, the point is, there is science confirming what God has told us to do. And somebody says, what about fish? I am vegetarian. I do eat fish if there's no other option. But I just read this statement recently. Ministry of Healing, page 175. I didn't realize it was there. 
It's an insightful statement, especially when it was written. In many places, fish has become so contaminated by the filth on which they feed as to be a cause of disease. In general, fish is better than red meat, no question. But this is especially the case where fish come in contact with the sewage of large cities. These fish may pass into distant waters and may be caught where the water is pure and fresh, but when used as food, they bring disease and death on those who do not suspect the danger. Profound statement. And you know, science is saying exactly what Ministry of Healing said. There's a lot of scientific research that even deep sea fish from very far away are affected by all the chemicals that, that they are exposed to and all the toxins that they are exposed to. So I'm not telling you what to do. Ask the Lord to direct you. But this was sobering for me to read this recently. And I want to talk. It takes two. It's the theme. I want to talk about the challenges and opportunities for men. While I was a faculty at the University of Michigan, I was asked, commissioned by an organization to write a paper reviewing the scientific evidence on the health of men in America. And I just want to share with you some of what I found. Women in America live longer than men. That's true in most countries. For the leading causes of death, Men have higher rates of death of every cause of the top 15 except Alzheimer's disease. Men have death rates that are at least twice as high as those of women for accidents, suicide, cirrhosis of the liver, and homicide. Women have lower rates of most diseases than men. For example, the prevalence of hypertension uh, is 20% higher for men than women. New cases of cancer are 30% higher in men than in women. There are large gender differences in health behavior. Women are more likely to engage in a broad range of preventive and health-promoting behaviors than men. The one exception is men are more likely to exercise than women. Women, we need to pay attention to that. Men are more likely to engage in over 30 behaviors that increase the risk of illness, injury, and death than women. For example, men are more likely to smoke cigarettes, twice as likely to drink five drinks of alcohol at one sitting, for example. Men are less likely than women to seek medical care, especially preventive medical care. Men, we've got to do better. Women are also twice as likely as men to visit a doctor in the last year. So if you look in the last year, doctor's visits, women much more likely than men to go to the doctor. And there are gender differences in the typical medical encounter. Physicians actually spend less time with men than with women. Physicians, on average, these are studies in the U.S., provide men with fewer services, give them less health information, give them less advice, and are less likely to talk to them about the health behaviors they need to change to improve their health. Men are also less likely than women to do the things that a healthcare provider tells them to do. Maybe that's why the doctors ain't bothering to waste their breath. Because when they tell the men what to do, they're not likely to do it. Um, this is the truth. This is scientific findings I'm sharing with you. One study found that black men aged 18 to 45 in the United States have the lowest rates of being aware of high blood pressure, the lowest rates of being treated for hypertension, the lowest levels of having their blood pressure control compared to every other age, race, gender group in the United States of America. 
My brothers, we've got work to do. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he wants us to take care of it for him. We have work to do, men. We have work to do. There are challenges that we need to take, uh, get involved with in terms of taking care of the body that God has given us. So what's our big problem? What, why is it that all of us, men and women, women aren't doing things perfectly but just better than men, why is it that we are not doing better at following the advice of our loving creator? Our problem is depending on Jesus. Our problem is trusting ourselves to be successful, thinking we can handle this. Our problem is that we forget that we can only be obedient to God. We can only do all things if and only if we depend on God to give us the strength. You remember the story of Peter? Peter, he saw Jesus walking on the water and he asked Jesus, can I come out to you? And Jesus says, come. And Peter starts walking on the water. He's doing the impossible. And as long as he was looking at Jesus, he was doing well. Living an obedient life to all God's law is an impossibility for us in our strength. We can only do it if we look to Jesus. And Jesus, Peter, moment by moment was doing it and he was doing fine. He's walking on the water. He's sustained by God's power. But Peter starts to feel comfortable, thinking he's big enough, he's better than the rest of the disciples. He starts looking around to see if they are happy and proud to see him walking underwater. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and what happens? He starts to sink. He was relying on himself. And when he looked back, he saw where Jesus was. And listen to this quotation from Desire of Ages, page 381. Looking unto Jesus, Peter walked securely, but as in self-satisfaction, he glances back towards his companions in the boat. He turned from the Savior. The wind is boisterous. The waves roll high. They come directly between him and the master. He's afraid for a moment. Christ is hidden from his view. And his faith gives way. He begins to sink. But while the billows talk with death, Peter lifts his eyes from the angry waters and fixing them upon Jesus Christ, Lord, save me. And I like the next word. Immediately, Jesus grasped the outstretched hand, saying, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Immediately. My brothers and sisters, we may not have followed God's guidelines for health, we may have thought we're smart enough to handle it ourselves. We can deal with stuff. We are adults. We are responsible people. The good news is, if you recognize today that you need God's help to obey his laws, his Ten Commandment law, his health laws, immediately, if you turn to Jesus, he will give you the strength immediately he will give you the power that has been missing in your life. Jesus wants to help us, but we have to recognize 
our need for help. It's as if a million dollars is in the bank for you, but if you don't go to the bank to get it, it's going to just sit there. But let's go back to the story of the Good Samaritan. Because I want to talk not only about what we need to do as individuals, but what God is calling us to do in health ministry. The most important thing in health ministry is developing loving relationships with people in need. And the story of the Good Samaritan gives us a model of how we can do this. Health ministry and reaching out to share the good news of God's love with others is similar to courtship. When you are in love with someone, you show them you care. Many people in our world feel hurt. When they are in pain, discouraged, just a little kindness, just a little caring, just a little understanding and sympathy can be like a refreshing cup of water in the harsh desert of discouragement. Jesus has wonderful plans for each of us, men and women, to work together, not only to be obedient to him in following his health principles in our lives, but also obedient in letting our light shine for him. Jesus wants to take us on a journey of life. We don't know where to go, but he does. He will not give us directions of where to go, he will not send us there, but he has promised he will go with us. He will accompany us. He will personally direct us. And we have the assurance today. We have his promise. He will never leave us or forsake us. Lo, I am with you always, even on to the end of the world. And like the story of the Good Samaritan, God is calling you and me to make his love real to people we encounter every day. Words of kindness, looks of sympathy, expressions of appreciation would be to many a struggling lonely one as a cup of cold water to a thirsty soul. And God wants us to make his love real to others. Ministry of Healing, page 143. How can we be successful? Only the methods of Jesus. So everything else we try is a failure. It's a waste of time. Only the methods of Jesus. And we do everything we can to avoid following the methods of Jesus. That's the truth. Christ's methods alone, alone, will give us true success in reaching the people. How did Jesus begin with a Bible study? No. He mingled with others as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy. He ministered to their needs, not your needs, not what you thought they needed. He ministered to their needs. That means you've got to know them and know what their problem is. Won their confidence, then after that he bade them follow me. So the good news of the gospel comes after we have followed the earliest steps. We do it opposite all the time. In the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus clearly indicates what it means to be a Christian. The test of true Christianity is not the doctrines that you believe, although understanding of Scripture is important. The acid test of being a follower of Jesus is not demonstrated by your tithing behavior, your dietary behavior, your devotional behavior, your frequency of church attendance, as important as all of these things are. 
What did Jesus say is the absolute test? My is not working right now. It's gone to sleep. If someone can help me, go to the next slide. This is frozen. But it says, John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love, thank you, one for another. To contemporary paraphrases, you will love, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. Jesus wants us to follow his example. So how do we work with others? What the John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as one version puts it, that Jesus came down from heaven and he pitched his tent beside ours. He moved into our neighborhood. He came close to where we are. And that is how we follow the steps of Jesus. In order to walk in the steps of Jesus, we shall find his footprints where? Beside the sickbed. Where in the hovels of poverty? Where in the crowded alleys of the great city? Where in every place where there are human hearts in need of consolation? That's our work. That's health ministry. That's what we have been called to do. In doing as Jesus did when he was here on earth, we shall walk with him. And yes, the Bible gives us our marching orders. The spirit of prophecy talks about this as the work of the church. Isaiah chapter 58. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? And when you see the naked that you cover him and that you hide not yourself from your own flesh. This is health ministry. Yes, we teach people health principles. Yes, we have cooking schools and teach them simple treatments, but it includes ministry of healing, adoptions, training, homes for poor kids, ministering in church clinics, health combined with public evangelism, health conditioning centers, teaching people how to live, <clears throat> comforting the afflicted, but we don't pay attention to this. Spirit of Prophecy says, it involves equipping people with job skills to earn a living wage. That's health ministry, caring and providing for people with their problems. And if we do this work, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become as midday and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. We're going to get health as we work in service to others and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. What does it mean? to truly represent Jesus in health ministry. How do we do this? It means we are being obedient to God. Matthew 25, 34. The king will say to those on his right hand, this is a picture of the great judgment. Come ye blessed of my father. Why? I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you give me something to drink. I was a stranger. A stranger is an old English word. I was an immigrant. 
this is the Bible, don't. I read it from the Bible, I was an immigrant and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. And in case you missed the point, Desire of Ages says, Christ pictured to the disciples the scene of the great judgment day and represented his decision as turning on one point. There'll be two classes. Their eternal destiny will be determined by what they have done or neglected to do for Jesus in the person of the poor and suffering. That's why we are here, to make a difference in the lives of people who are hurting in our community. So what can we do? I want to take a walk down memory lane to see what Adventists did when they took seriously the writings of the spirit of prophecy. Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, in 1893, established a ministry in Chicago that he said was based on reading what the spirit of prophecy has said, which today is the ministry of healing, of the work we need to do. What did his ministry, 1893, offer? A free medical clinic in Chicago a clothing distribution center, a homeless shelter that served 400 people per night, a soup kitchen that fed 500 to 1,500 people a day, work at the shelter because he was implementing the council about providing work. So the shelter was not free. You had to pay 10 cents for a night and you had to pay 5 cents for your meal. But they'd give you the money and you would work there were two industries in the shelter where men and women could work to raise the money to pay for the expenses while they lived there. They had a lifeboat rescue service for Adventist proper women worked the red light district of Chicago every night from 7 o'clock to midnight or 1 a.m. And in the first year, talked more than 100 women out of prostitution and there was a maternity home, a halfway home they would take them to. This was health ministry. From outside the city, they had a, 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 a farm which grew produce to use in the soup kitchen, but was also a rehab center for the men who needed to get over substance abuse. There was a school for Chinese, this is 1893, who's a student of American history here. What happened in 1882? The United States passed the Chinese Exclusion Act. Chinese were despised people, could not migrate to America. 1882, and he had a special outreach for the Chinese, a visiting nurse service. Comprehensive health ministry, where did he get it from? It's all in the book, Ministry of Healing. And then Kellogg started a medical school in Chicago. The students did the first two years in Battle Creek. Um, and then they came to Chicago. And just to give you a sense of the stuff they had, there was a dormitory for the medical school. It was a home base of eight visiting nurses who worked in the low-income residential areas surrounding the school. And the school, this is what the medical students were involved in, many activities, a kindergarten, a day nursery for working moms, a free laundry for women, a free employment agency, classes in first aid, hygiene, diet, child training, dress, a placement service for orphans, a placement service for men and women who had been reclaimed from Skid Row. Comprehensive health ministry more than 100 years ago following what Ministry of Healing says we need to do. 
and those medical students organized 70 different clubs among the poor kids of Chicago and the city jails to minister to the needs of their community. And I just want to show you where he got these ideas from. It's in Ministry of Healing, page 194. Attention should be given to the establishment of various industries so that poor families can find employment. That's health ministry too. Carpenters, blacksmiths, indeed everyone who understands some line of useful labor should feel a real responsibility to teach and help the ignorant and unemployed. We are talking about following the footsteps of Jesus and meeting the needs of our community. Another quotation from Ministry of Healing, by instruction in practical lines, we can often help the poor most effectively. As a rule, those who have not been trained to work do not have habits of industry, perseverance, economy, and self-denial. They do not know how to manage. Often through the lack of carefulness and right judgment, they wasted that which might maintain their families in decency and comfort if it were carefully and economically used. And that's why we provide them instruction along practical lines. Here is another example, page 194. They let the members of poor households be taught how to cook, how to make and mend their own clothing, how to nurse the sick, how to care properly for the home. Let the boys and girls be taught some useful trade or occupation. This is health ministry, meeting the needs of the community. And there are multitudes of children who've been wholly deprived of guidance. Is that true today? Of parents and subduing influence of a Christian home. Let Christians open their hearts and homes to these helpless ones. She talks about parenting, mentoring, and adoption. So what are we to do? We need to develop programs that enhance members and the community's knowledge of food and fitness and sleep and encourage healthy choices. But we also need programs as part of health ministry to low-income persons to ensure that they can develop a marketable trade or skill to earn adequate income to support good health. That is a part of health ministry that we have been called to. That's part of what God is calling us. And look at some examples of Jesus. I'm drawing from the book Ministry of Healing that just gives you a picture of what Jesus is like. He was always patient and cheerful. None who came to him went away unhelped. He helped everybody. That means he had to be diverse because everybody doesn't have the same problem. And if he's helping everybody, the Savior's work was not restricted to any time or place. His compassion knew no limit. It was heaven to be in his presence. With tender, courteous grace, he ministered to the sin-sick soul, bringing healing and strength. Why is Jesus waiting, my brothers and sisters? Why are we still here on this earth? What is it that the Lord is waiting for us to do? Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be fully reproduced in his people, um, then he will come to claim them as his own. It is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly 
the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly, the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would gather the precious grain. I don't know about you, I'm tired of this world. My wife and I went this summer, June 1 to 12, we were in Israel and Jordan. We spent time in Jerusalem and in Gaza as part of a Breath of Life and Oakwood University organized tour. Um, it was meaningful to sail on the Sea of Galilee. Um, we didn't get rebaptized, but many of the members of our group got baptized in the River Jordan. We did renew our vows in Cana of Galilee. <laughs> but look at the trouble in our world. I want to go home. I don't know about you. But we have work to do. And God wants to use you and me to finish the work, to reach out and experience the love he has for us, and to realize he will equip us, if we only let him, to reach out to our communities and make a difference. Not that they see us, not that they praise us, but they see the character of Jesus in the way we treat them, and they want to follow him. I don't know about you. I want to say to Jesus today, Lord, take my life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Give me your heart of love that we saw in the Good Samaritan and that we saw win you when you pitch your tent beside ours so that we can do the same everywhere you place us so that others will see Jesus in us because we are touching them at the level of their need and introducing them to the savior of the world. If that's your desire this morning, if that's your commitment, why not stand with me saying, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. I know what you want me to do. I cannot do it in my own strength, but I want to say, Lord, today, I give you my life. Take me, use me, make me everything you want me to be. As individuals, but as a church, let us sit back and think of how we can meet real needs in our community. People are hurting. They need to see the love of God. And we do it by touching them at the level of their need. And that will open opportunities for them to see Jesus in us and to come to call him blessed. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love that would not let us go. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that is greater than all of our sin. But most of all, we thank you, Lord, that Jesus loves us now in spite of our failures in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our stumbling, in spite of our disobedience and our arrogance and our willingness to do things our way instead of your way, you love us still. And Lord, we give you our life. Take us, use us, make us everything you want us to be and help us 
to let others see Jesus in us so that we can lead them to you and we can go home to live with you forever. Seal the decisions we've made today until the day of your coming and help us if we ever get discouraged, if we ever lose hope that we can just turn our gaze towards you and immediately you'll be there to take us back and to give us the strength we need to go forward. Bless everyone bowed in your presence today and those online. Speak your comfort to their hearts and give us the courage to do what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. <laughs>